You are never more like Jesus than when you give. Let me give you a little bit of history of gift giving as we know it in our culture. Back in 280 A.D., a long time ago, there was a character by the name of Nicholas who lived in a little town called Patara in Asia Minor. His parents died when he was a kid, but they passed the Christian faith on to him at a very young age, and he moved as a young'un to the town of Mira in Turkey, where he grew up and he decided he would serve the Lord. So godly was this man, it says that by tradition, when the city needed a bishop, they elected him to become their bishop. And he served the Lord until he was imprisoned by the Roman emperor Diocletian, released by Constantine. But he was a giver, he was a server of the Lord all the days of his life. There are several um, traditions that go along with this man. They said that he would ask for food and money for the poor and then give it to them. He would take the money that he had and give it to the young women who wanted to have husbands so that they would have a dowry and get a husband. Probably the most famous tradition that goes along with Nicholas is the fact that he would dress up in a disguise and give gifts to children. Now, as history went on, and he's been celebrated by generations and generations, they've embellished the story a little bit. As often happens, they take true facts and they tack on facts that really aren't factual at all. Uh, The poet Clement Moore gave him a red nose and eight tiny reindeer. Later on, the illustrator Thomas Nast made him chubby, gave him a white beard and a red suit. And people started giving him names like Saint Nick and Santa Claus. But he was a real historical figure who was a Christian dedicated to giving things to others and giving his life to Christ. The principle with which he started out was right on. In fact, listen to what Paul says in the book of Philippians. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out, not for your own interests, but the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The ironic thing is this. He was doing things to reflect Jesus, and people have focused not on Jesus, but on him. If Nicholas were alive, he'd be angry that people called him Santa Claus and celebrate him at Christmas. He was trying to point to the Savior all along. In Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read a few verses, and if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to just read along with me the familiar Christmas story, at least part of it. Because we see that there were three wise men, or magi, who gave gifts to Jesus Christ on his birthday, or close to the event, probably. And really, that's the question this Christmas. What are you going to give God? What are you going to give Jesus? It's his birthday. There was a family who would always celebrate Christmas by having a birthday party for Jesus. I mean, they'd have a cake, candles. They'd set a special chair of honor at the table. And they'd sing, Happy Birthday to you. They'd sing that to Jesus every year. The kids got so used to it that when they went back to school after the Christmas season, and one of the kids asked little Janie, Hey, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? She instantly replied, no, but then again, it's not my birthday. She had it right. In Matthew chapter 2, we read, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from him what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced and were exceedingly glad. These guys seem to come out of nowhere and follow a star, and the scripture leaves little room, little explanation as to where it came from or who they were. I don't want to burst your Christmas bubble, but... They probably didn't ride on donkeys. There probably weren't three of them. We get the idea that there were three kings because there's a song. We three kings of... We get our theology from the Christmas song. There were three kinds of gifts. They probably rode on Arabian steeds or stallions. And there was a great entourage of people. They were not kings. The scripture doesn't call them that. It simply calls them wise men or magi. They came from the east. History tells us that they were Persian priests. In fact, they were priests from the ancient religion of Zoroasterism. Really a pagan cult. The principal element of their worship was fire. They said that the gods gave them fire, or that God gave them fire, and they had an altar upon which the fire would perpetually burn. The way they dressed was interesting. They had long coned hats, like wizards in the cartoons, and colorful robes. They were priests from Medo-Persia, or the area of Babylon. They influenced governments. That is... They practiced superstition, sorcery, wizardry, but at the same time, they dabbled into science, they dabbled into timetables, and we get our word magic and magistrate from the word magi. That's where it comes from. Because of their influence that they exercise over rulers. If you wanted to find these characters in the Bible, besides here, you would have to look way back to the book of Daniel. When Daniel was taken captive along with the rest of the Jews by a character named Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, it was his habit to select the choicest young men for his own court, and he would instruct them in the ways of Babylon and later on the Medes and the Persians. They became the Magi or the Magi. Daniel had an interesting history. Nebuchadnezzar the king, a long time ago, had a dream one night that troubled him. He couldn't remember what it was. And so he woke up the next day and he called all of the magi together and he said, Fellas, I had a troubling dream last night, but can't remember it. Tell me what I dreamed and tell me what it means. 
He said, tell tell you what, you tell us your dream and we'll tell you what it means. He said, no, anybody can do that. You tell me what I dreamed and you tell me what it means or I'll cut your heads off. They said, whoa, no king in history has ever had such a decree. Well, this is the first. Tell me what I dreamed, what it means, or I'll cut your heads off, your kids' heads off, and I'll make your house as a dunghill. How about that? They couldn't come up with it, so he gave the execution orders. Just then, Daniel, the Hebrew, the lover of God, heard the decree, and he said, Wait a minute. Tell the king not to be so hasty. I'll come in, and I'll interpret his dream by the grace of God. He comes in, tells Nebuchadnezzar what he dreamed, tells him the interpretation. He was wondering about the future. And it blew Nebuchadnezzar's mind so much that he elevated Daniel to be the prince over the magi, the wise men. Though he was true to God, he was in charge of all of the magi of the court of Nebuchadnezzar. Which put him in an interesting position because he had a chance, no doubt, to share the truth with these pagan sorcerers. He had a chance to tell them about the Messiah, the prophecies of the future. Read Daniel 9 sometime, the details and the timetable of when the Messiah would come. And so the Magi that we read about here in Matthew 2 were the descendants of these characters who found themselves under the leadership of Daniel in the Old Testament. Now in verse 3 it says, When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled, literally shaken to the core. Because you see, magi were kingmakers. And they come in and they say, hey, we've heard that there's the king of the Jews who's been born. Now, the reason Herod was upset is because that was the name he was known as. Caesar Augustus, in Rome, at his own coronation, gave him the name king of the Jews. And so Herod didn't want any competition. The idea that these wise men had come all the way from the area of Medo-Persian, from the Persian Gulf, to Israel, and are looking for a king, troubled him greatly. The amazing thing is that they knew what he didn't. Now listen to this scripture out of the book of Numbers, a prophecy. A star will rise up out of Jacob, and a scepter will come from Israel. Could it be that through the prophecies of Daniel, the timetable that Daniel had given them to when the Messiah would come, and the prophecy that a star would come out of the nation of Israel, with all of their astrological and astronomical science mixed with superstition, they believed Daniel and were led supernaturally by God to this place? Could be. The next several verses give us some more insight. Verse 11. When they had come into the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those are curious shower gifts for a baby, aren't they? Gold we can understand. That's the medal of kings. It was the custom, if you ever approach a king, you better bring him a present. If you don't bring him a present, he's going to get mad at you and kick you out of his court or kill you. That was the custom. You come into the presence of a king with a gift, and since gold is the kingly gift, the king of all metals, you bring gold. And so gold was to typify that Jesus would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Then they brought frankincense to him, which was the spice of the priests in the Old Testament, 
when sacrifices were offered, they would mix it with the frankincense, which would bring a sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord, which spoke of the fact that Jesus would be a high priest. By the way, the word priest means bridge builder. Bridge builder. Jesus took the hand of the Father, God, and he took the hand of man and he brought them together. He bridged the gap that sin had caused between man and God. But that third gift is the most curious because myrrh is none other than embalming fluid. In fact, when Jesus was buried, remember Joseph of Arimathea brought a hundred pounds of aloes and myrrh to bury him. It was known in Rome, Grecian Empire, among the Jews, almost all of the ancient world, that myrrh was embalming fluid. Now imagine receiving that as a gift. How do you think you'd feel as a parent if somebody brought you, hey, I brought some embalming fluid for your baby? You'd say, why? But that was to prefigure his death. You see, Jesus was different. He came into the world with a different purpose. His purpose was not to be a doctor, a lawyer, or politician, but to die. You know, that is a fact, I think the fact, that is overlooked every Christmas by most people. I have found that most people can handle Jesus as a baby in a manger. No problem. Kind of like that as a decoration. But just don't you dare let him grow up and demand to rule my life. Don't let him grow up and tell me he's the savior of the world who wants to save me from sin. I don't like that. I like him as a baby in a manger. Keep him there. But Jesus said, for this reason I came into the world, to this end I was born. That was to die. The shadow of the cross falls upon the manger. That's why he came. To die for the sins of the world. When Jesus was born, the angel said to Mary and Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people, what? From their sins. That's his calling. That's why he came. One of the hymns we sing every Christmas, Christmas carols, is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was done by John Wesley. Listen to the last verse. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Those little hands that Mary looked at were hands that would one day house Roman spikes. Mary didn't know that until she went to the temple and Simeon said, This child shall be for the rising and falling of many in Israel, but a sword shall pierce your own soul, Mary. One day you'll watch that little baby grow up He'll be put on a cross and he will die. Three curious gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's what they gave Jesus. All right, what do we give him? It's his birthday, we admit that. But what do you give to the God who has everything? What are you going to give God for Christmas? I mean, you think, what can I give God? can't get him a tie. I'll tell you the greatest gift you can give. You. In verse 11, we read that these three magi bowed and worshipped before they gave their gifts of gold. That's where God's at. You know, God doesn't want your money. God wants you. 
In fact, God won't accept your gifts until He has your heart. They bow down and they worship, which is a symbol of giving themselves. Think of Christmas again. People out there celebrating little old Nicholas, whom they call Santa Claus. Nicholas, the one who pointed to Jesus Christ from the beginning, and history has been rewritten to cloud over what it was all about. He was in love with Jesus. How will you celebrate Christmas? Will you be like Herod, who followed the star of his own greed and his own selfishness? He didn't want competition from anybody. Another king? No way. I'm in charge. Are you like that? Are you saying, I'm in charge of my life? I'm not going to give it over to God or anybody else. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Or are you like the religious people that we read about in this chapter? When Herod said, hey, where's this king of the Jews to be born? And they quoted the scriptures just instantly. They knew Micah chapter 5 verse 2 without having to look it up. There's a lot of people like that. They follow the star of their own religious knowledge. They've got all the answers. They've got all the religious background, but they haven't had an encounter with God. Oh, they're right. Ask them a doctrine, they'll tell you. They're right, but they're dead right. There's no life in them. They've never made a commitment to Jesus. Or will you be like the wise men who traveled all that distance for the right reason, and before they gave their gifts, they bowed down to that infant king the one who alone could save them from their sins. And then in verse 12, it tells us, and they departed for their own country another way. I like that. They departed another way, which means they took a different route, but look at it from a spiritual standpoint. They left differently from how they came. They came as wise men. They left as wiser men, having worshipped the king. There's an old slogan, you see it on bumper stickers, wise men still seek him. It's true. It's true. Uh, somebody asked me one time, do you think you're going to see the Magi in heaven? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know what they really did after that point. The scripture is silent, but you know what? You may be shocked when you get to heaven. I should say, if you get to heaven. You may be shocked at just who made it and just who didn't. Your friends might seek you and go, I can't believe it. You're here. <laughs> and if you're smart, you'll say, only by God's grace. An author that I respect wrote a few sentences about Christmas night. I like it. Listen. It's Christmas night... And according to our watch, it's now Christmas morning. In a few hours, the cleanup will begin. The lights will come down. The trees will be thrown out. A size 36 will be exchanged for size 40. Ha! <laughs> Eggnog will be on sale for half price. Soon life will be normal again. Chris, December's generosity will become January's payments. And the magic will begin to fade. But for the moment, the magic is still in the air. And maybe that's why I'm still awake tonight. I want to savor the Spirit just a bit more. I want to pray that those who beheld Him today will look for Him next August. And I can't help but linger on one fanciful thought. If He can do so much with such timid prayers, lamely offered in December, 
How much more could he do if we thought of him every day? The greatest gift God ever gave, the best Christmas present, is wrapped in a skin, a baby skin named Jesus. The best Christmas present anybody could ever receive. The Savior. The best thing you could ever give to God is your heart, yourself. Not saying join a church or be religious or buy a book and keep codes. I'm saying have a personal encounter where by repentance you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You say, here's my heart. I give it to you. What better time than now? What better opportunity than Christmas itself to give your heart to Jesus if you haven't done that? Let's bow our heads for just a minute. Father, we just pray that as you touch hearts, there would now be the response. You're doing it right at this moment. You're speaking to hearts and you're saying, I want you, you're mine, come home. I pray, Father, that hearts would soften and not be resistant.